Hello, instead of banter for this episode, I'm just going to put in a quick content warning. Uh, at one point in Doom Patrol, due to it being what the episode is about, we do discuss one character uh, seriously considering and getting close to attempting, but not actually attempting suicide. So, just so you know, this is something that uh, this show handles. Although, I, I had to give a content warning like this for Garo, and that show absolutely was not capable of dealing with these issues properly, but this show is, so... Good job, Doom Patrol. <laughs> Head on straight, mask on crooked. Exit stays left with the cash gone, took it. Off like a country, the fit was a bit doofy. He tried to get screwed with that two for you, one two for me, G. Cut the cranky attitude, wet him like a handkerchief on a stanky fatter dude. Whether use a rapper or a dang sanger, once you in, it's only one way out. Like a gangbanger with a new crew keychain and street name. What set do he claim for fame, peak game? Just to keep feather and stay dip. You need it like a letter or better or get away with. Welcome to Brokusatsu, Two Brothers Exploration of Tokusatsu and Associated Media. I'm Harry. And I'm Sam. And Harry, you need to apologize for abandoning our mother's birthday this last Friday. If by abandoning our mother's birthday you mean like calling in advance, clearing with her, and going that morning and spending I'm gonna I'm gonna estimate far more time with her in person than you did online. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I mean. Harry, we had a scheduled time to all gather as a family to banter back and forth and discuss movies that we may or may not have watched. Speaking of which, did you watch Strictly Ballroom for her? Well, no, but at the same time, I've watched that movie like a dozen times. So, I, uh, yes, I love that movie. I'll watch it again. I just didn't have time this last week to watch it. And yet I had time to go over, mow the lawn for her, and also watch some Netflix comedy specials with her. And we, we also ate the kiffles that you made. Yay. Were they good? Yep, they were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, Doom so Patrol! I, yeah, uh, speaking of things I refuse to apologize for, Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, no the, need to apologize has, for Doom Patrol. It's yeah, good. Yeah, it's good. It, it's it has no, weird. It has nothing to apologize for, like, like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a. Uh, this is a weird fucking show, Harry. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I, I know we said it two weeks ago, but this this is a weird fucking show. Well, I've I've learned some things. Apparently, it's very directly adapting. Uh, I think the Alan Moore run of Doom Patrol, like very sure specifically not Grant Morrison or Grant Morrison. Sure, mm-hmm. I, Alan Moore has been on the mind because apparently he got a movie recently. Yeah, he got a movie recently. He's like writing a new book and he granted one of those rare, rare interviews where he just comes on and says like, oh, movies are ruining everything. Hollywood, Hollywood, damn Hollywood. And it's just like, it is so old man yells at Cloud. Like, it's he's the oldest, crankiest, just bitterest creator. I mean, to be a pool of creators that are all those things. I mean, I think that's kind of just been his natural state his whole life, and he's just kind of aged into a natural equilibrium. Like, he was a cranky old man when he was in his 20s, and now he's just actually old. Like, I have never seen a picture of Alan Moore where he didn't look like he was 70 years old with, like, a beard that had not been washed since he was in his 20s. Like, he's looked like that since the 80s. He still looks like that now. I I honestly don't know how old Alan Moore is. Like, is he just, like, 30? Did he write, like, The Dark Knight Returns when he was five? And that's yeah, he, just how he came out of the womb? The Dark Knight Returns, do you, 
that was uh that was the the racist one who was who's that uh oh you're right that wasn't uh he wrote the killing joke right um yeah oh god what, what was the name of mark the... millar mark millar yeah. Was it Mark, Mark Miller or Frank Miller? Frank Frank Miller, yeah. The other, the other, yeah, the other Miller. Yeah, the the other entirely different last name. <laughs> One letter. Hmm. Okay. So, Doom Patrol episode three, uh, Puppet <laughs> Patrol. <laughs> Look, I tried to do a natural transition, but then you torpedoed it with various things. Mm-hmm. Uh. And by the way, this is the last episode uh, that is available on YouTube, so much sadness. Though it is a good one, so go ahead and seek it out if you haven't already. Yeah. Uh, so as it starts, Jane, she's walking down the street, putting up posters of uh, the chief. who We we barely remembered his name. We could only remember his first name, Niles, but they, they mostly call him the chief, which is a good name to remember him by. Yes. Uh, and he is the chief. There's also, uh, there's other posters up around town, apparently. Hammable Lecter, like a, someone's hamster is missing. Yeah. And no, no posters of the cockroach, who I also did just enough research to find out is a character, and we'll be finding out more about them. So that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Did did we forget to mention the talking cockroach two weeks ago? Because no, it was we, totally we just, a talking cockroach. We just weren't sure what he was. Like, I thought maybe it was just Morden projecting his voice into a creature, but no, he's... He's a distinct thing. Like I, I even, I even know uh, their name, which I won't say in case it becomes a reveal. Does Hamable Lecter come back? I, probably. Fuck. Like even the weird thing at the end of this episode is something very specific. But uh, so J- that Jane... wasn't a throwaway gag. No. Like that. We'll get there. Anyway, okay. Jane, she's speaking of throwaway gigs, and what I think might end up being a throwaway gig, she's kind of confronted by a group of angry townsfolk who are saying like, "Hey, get the fuck out of here!" You know you. You blew up our town and then unblew it up in a weird space-time way, and she just staples something to a guy's head. Uh, crazy Jane. Assaulting people with staplers. Cyborg, in doing some nice recap of last episode, because he, he's gotten some hints that his backstory isn't real, so he's having a flashback to the accident that caused him to get injured, and he kind of pulls up the security records and tries to authenticate it with his computer, but at least for now, he can't find it. He can't find any flaws. Mm-hmm. It is nice that, you know, he he has serious doubts now and he's not letting it go. But at the same time, he's still moving forward with other things like it's like uh, actively on the back burner. Yeah, he, he's doing what he can, but he's very busy with other things like Eric Morden, who he gets some info on. We get a uh, ro- robot and Ruth. They're searching the professor's lab for clues. Just. Oh, sorry. Um, And Rita. Uh. Something, anything on Mr. Nobody, and they find, well, they do find files on Robot's family, including his daughter's number. So the chief was really holding out. Yeah, and Robot quietly hides the number. Uh, but uh, they they find a photo of the donkey in Paraguay, and apparently, in a country of millions of people that I you know, I looked up, it's it's a pretty decent-sized country. This This photo alone is enough for them to go, alright, let's go investigate. Well, you gotta remember, like, Rita has some very traumatic memories of that donkey. Like, it's a very specific donkey, and it was the same, same donkey. Yeah, but but it's enough for Cyborg to call a group meeting and kind of just assume leadership position, which everyone immediately tries to tear down. Well, not Larry. Larry is 
it reads to both as he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, later. Uh, I think he's a bit off because he woke up after leaving a message for his other self about needing ground rules and found himself, like, stuck in the rafters of a room. <laughs> yeah, it's a very fun, fun image. Yeah, but Cyborg, he, he even has a printout that may have come out of his butt printer. He, he won't say. Uh, but Eric Morden was a member of the Brotherhood of Evil, <laughs> a, a super villain group in the 30s, disappeared in the 40s, somewhere in Paraguay, and... They're going to go and find him. Uh, did we skip over? So we get a number of negative man flashbacks this episode. And holy shit, that dude has a tragic backstory. Oh, yeah. Like, it. I mean, I, I guess I was going to group it up because we get one with his with his lover and then one with his wife later. So the one we get right now is of his lover, like them spending time together the night before the big test and the accident. And it it's kind of really rocky because his his. Uh, what was it? His name, John? Yeah, I think his name was John. It, it was Jay something. You are asking the wrong person this question, Harry. Uh, l- it Lover doesn't John- matter. The mechanic. Lover John Bowers. His name is John. Okay. So John, like, kind of unloads, saying, like, hey, I'm uh, I'm quitting the military. Like, my, my term is running out, and I'm just going to leave because I can't stand being around these people who could not accept the real me. And Larry gets pissed at this, saying, you selfish prick. You could have waited 12 hours until after this highly technical test. (laughs) Because Larry is very focused on his career. Like, if he does this well, he might be tapped for the Mercury Project. And that's been a dream of his. You know, he he could be an astronaut back when that was like, what, back when there were like three astronauts. There isn't really a happy ending for Larry. Like, Like, there might be a happy ending for John because he doesn't have like, you know, a family uh, that is going to be just, you know going through whatever trauma he is, but... Like, what we're seeing here, and what Larry, part of his arc may be kind of realizing, that he was kind of destroying his life even before the Entity. Like, because he he was very focused and tried to play both sides. Like, with his... With John, he was saying, hey, let's let's keep this cool, you know, let, let's try to figure it out. And then, when he goes home to his wife, his wife basically... She doesn't say it in words, but she says, I thought there weren't going to be any more nights out with the boys. <laughs> yeah. And the boys, as we just saw, like, his boyfriend, John, straight up turned to him, like, after he was talking about Mercury, saying, like, you're going to become a poster boy for a country that hates you. Yeah. And, and the wife is, like, thinking, she's saying, is this my fault? Like, am I not a, am I not helping you change he's like no no look we're gonna work this out and larry he's kind of pushing a lot of the stress on other people and focusing on himself uh it's it's really sad it's really sad yeah i mean it, it's not like he's not it's a situation where everyone has a point you know like there's not an obvious villain no like not even not even larry like not even negative man like, yeah, like, he's in the he, middle of everything, he's the nexus of all the hurt that's going on, but he didn't have great options. Yeah, I mean, he's he's trying to excel in his career, and he's doing what society always, always expects of him, but he's also trying to be kind to, you know, his, uh, his lover John, but, you know, that's really, you know, he's trying to, it's an impossible equation. It's an impossible equation, and he's just kicking the can down again and again and again. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but no, 
uh, back in back in present day, Cyborg says, "All right, I'm so great, you know, because I'm a real professional superhero. I'm just gonna call up my dad and borrow our private jet so we can go to Paraguay." But <laughs> his dad Cyborg is a yeah. His dad is an asshole and cuts him off. No credit card, no jet, no nothing. Like you know, the second he tries to go out and do something on his own, the dad cuts off all the resources. And so they have to road trip down to Paraguay. Oh yeah. Like, I, like You know, we we're not the experts on geography. We've made that clear in this show. So I went and looked at it. And the distance between uh the United States and Paraguay, like I for reference, I just did Washington State because that's where we are. And it's almost exactly ten thousand kilometers or six thousand <laughs> miles. Yes, someone points out that it'll take all week to drive down to Paraguay, at which Cyborg replies, no, it'll take two weeks. But that's that's as the crow flies distance of 6,000 miles. Like, that's not accounting for there's the ocean and, like, a tiny little strip of land. And also, not all, some of those roads are through the mountains and stuff, and they're, they're driving a school bus. It is not an off-road vehicle. So yeah, I think that we should but, also really consider, like, do all these people have passports? Because they're going to be crossing a lot of borders <laughs> between their mansion and Paraguay. Yeah, I mean, I, they could probably like, what find does, ways. What does Robot's passport look like? Uh, he might have like a junior Justice League thing. He could kind of flash and be like, hey, we got to get through here. Because he is recognizable. Like, uh, there, there's a scene later when he's fixing the truck where someone shows up and says, hey, you know, what's, what's Batman like? And grabs a selfie. Uh, but yeah, so we get some comedy bits, uh, just the team driving down towards Paraguay, and it's it's going about as well as you could expect. But there's some bond to go, some bond to going on in the background too. Yeah, uh, Larry, when he's taking a turn driving, though, starts to argue with the entity inside of him, saying like, "Hey, it's it's not fair what you did, you know? Like, I just need some ground rules." And the entity pops out and breaks the truck, well, the 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 bus. Uh, so. The location is cited specifically as somewhere not even close to Paraguay. Uh, that's where that's where we get the second flashback. But they're hanging out in a hotel while Cyborg is trying to fix the bus. They're, uh, apparently Rita takes a really long time to clean herself up in the mornings because not only does she have the high standards of, you know, dress and makeup, but she has to collect herself so she doesn't melt. I mean, I feel for her. Like... Everyone is just waiting in front of the bathroom, and we go inside, and her leg is just melted all over the all over the floor, and she's trying to will it into place. Also, probably everybody else probably doesn't care too much appearance because Jane might, depending on the personality, but Robot Man is a brain in a robot body that he might occasionally hose off, and Larry doesn't. Larry just covers himself in bandages, so she's the only one who has to care about this stuff. Like, how many of them even use the bathroom? I mean, does Larry eat? Like, no, I, I don't think he does. He went to that bar and he got a beer and he didn't drink it. Well, so he didn't he... want. Well, he, I think that might have been him not wanting to remove his bandages to drink it because people were staring at him, and he was kind of freaking out. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. I don't know. But like, at most three people, like Cyborg probably does. Jane probably does. Rita does. And then I guess Larry's a question mark. Uh, well, uh, eventually, uh, Jane. Well, one of one of Jane's personalities gets super bored, gra- grabs Robot Man, 
well, grabs Cliff and Larry. I I realized that was very inconsistent in which people's names I said, so I should probably just use their actual names because they, they got names and I've said them enough now that I remember them. She grabs Cliff and Larry and just teleports them to Paraguay because <laughs> one of her personalities can do that, but just doesn't usually cooperate. <clears throat> yeah, it's pointed out as soon as they get there, like, robot kind of screams, we could have just done that from the beginning. And Jade says, well, she kind of does what she wants to do. No one really gets to direct her. Yeah, which is great writing wise because it's an inconsistent device that they can use sometimes, but also ride around not using other times. We get kind of a lot of that of like Jane this episode describing how her personalities work. And I I love the framework. Like n- people keep using the language implying that there is a dominant personality, that someone is in charge and she can like will them up. But she is like, no, no, that's absolutely not the case. We are all distinct, different people. None of us are in charge. We work together. Like, you know, sometimes uh, a personality will go away. Someone will come up. But it's like we we just kind of cooperate with each other. and We don't force any issues. So they teleport to a spot in Paraguay, the large country. And because it's a comic book, they also teleport right next to a bus stop that's very relevant to their investigation. I was under the assumption that they teleported exactly to the spot of the picture. Oh, that is true, I guess. Uh, because there is there's a Korean man waiting there who sees them as like, oh, yeah, you guys look like you're also here for the procedures. The procedures, you say? Yes, we are here for them. Tell us more about them, even though we all know about them. Yeah. Well, he, he wanted to save up for the Morden, but, you know, that's very expensive. So it said he's just going to get magnet feet so he can walk up walls. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this guy is stoked about getting weird superpowers. This is a very happy, peppy man. And, yeah. You know, let's be fair. He's about as happy as either of us would be to even get a minor superpower like that. Like, I wouldn't say no to Magnet Feet. Shit. Yeah, Magnet Feet would be really fucking badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, so we go with him on a bus and we get to Fooktopia. Yes. <laughs> Not Fucktopia. Fooktopia. Mm-hmm. Jade because requests them to spell it. Yeah, it, it's it's ran by the escaped Nazi scientist whose name whose name is uh, Fook, and it, like it's a uh, it's his family members question mark helping run the place. You know, they, it's just a nice estate, and they go to the introductory puppet show that lasts for like four hours. <laughs> uh, this is a wonderful, lovely show. Like. I just, I want to be in the meeting where, like, the producers of the series, they have to go to, like, HBO and say, hey, we need the budget for a full-on puppet show of Nazi puppets. This is critical to the plot. Yeah, like, the, the tourist, he he uh he's very excited about this, and when they do a time lapse, he suddenly has, like, a snack and a beer, so I think they have, like, a, a food cart that he gets something from. Uh, and and a, he's very happy, a little less happy when Fook gets to the point of his presentation that reveals that, oh yeah, he was a Nazi scientist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah, this wasn't in the pamphlets. Yeah. But and, he's still there, still on board. Yeah. And he shows the his, uh, his greatest success, Morden, and how the procedure was about to be fully successful before the chief showed up. And there's a, a very nice puppet of the chief looking exactly like he does in present day. In 1948, so yes, I'm, he's friggin' immortal. I, uh, 
I mean, I wasn't saying no. I was saying that, you know, I didn't have enough information. Uh, the point is, he showed up, put a couple bullets in Fook, apparently not enough to kill him, but uh, enough to disrupt the procedure, and he grabbed something that may end up being plot relevant and ran away. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And then we see Mr. Morden uh, step out, <laughs> a puppet Mr. Morden, uh, step out of the chamber, the puppet chamber, and, like, half of his segments have been removed. Like, you see the inner workings of the puppet. It's a... It's really good. Yeah. It's really it, good. It's just a fun visual metaphor of showing him as the as the puppet, but just big chunks of him have been ripped off. So, they, they get separated a bit, with uh, Jane on her own trying to pay for some procedures, and she has a bunch of stolen credit cards, but... All of them get denied. Yeah. So we see Robot, Jane, and Larry having conversations with the people of the facility talking about the potential for, you know, uh, getting treatment. The thing is, all of them are kind of on board. Or at least Robot and Larry are. Crazy Jane, she's saying she is. Uh, it would it becomes apparent later that she really just wants to have a conversation with the scientist. Yeah, I mean, Larry, he hears about the, the chamber that did the stuff to Morden, and he kind of thinks that maybe it could be a way out of his whole situation. Mm -hmm. uh, but but Jane, like, when all of their cards are rejected, Jane says, Alright, I have 64 personalities, each of, with, each of which has a different superpower, and if you'll hook me up, I'll just give you a sample of my blood, and you could probably do something with that. Which is very tempting for the scientist. Very, very tempting. Yeah, well, the, the the lady she's talking to kind of looks up at the ceiling for a couple of seconds and then looks back at her and says, yeah, come with me. Mm -hmm. uh, here's where here's where Larry uh, es escapes through the facility at, uh, trying to find the chamber and we get flashbacks to him first waking up and apparently just irradiating and killing everybody in the hospital he's in. Yeah, are those bandages like lead lines? Is that another reason that he is wrapped head to toe? I think maybe... I, I have to imagine that he's just not radioactive anymore. Like, maybe he has enough of a thing on his powers that he's not nuking everyone. Mm -hmm. But because of the way this uh, played out, Cyborg and Rita are stuck at the hotel together. And Cyborg is super forward and wanting to do the mission, and Rita really isn't. They're the polar opposites, like just gung-ho cyborg and just wet blanket Rita. Yeah. And Cyborg is very frustrated at this and starts needling at her. And Rita eventually says, yes, you're right. I don't want to do this. But then again, you don't really need us. You're a professional superhero. What did you need us for? Moral support? You're, you're as bad as I am, just in a different way. <laughs> she has a point. Yeah. Like, Cyborg constantly needs affirmation that he's great at his job and anytime anyone questions his authority he snaps at them like earlier cliff there was a scene in the hotel where he was looking for his keys and cliff had clearly just hidden them <laughs> and cyborg gets, gets super pissed uh it's good to fuck with like the guy who's just like type a all the time <laughs> uh so jane she's led through fooktopia to find uh fear do we, we want to talk about larry's uh experience inside the chamber first because as soon as the jade stuff kicks off that's like where we live for the rest of the episode yeah okay so so larry he finds he finds uh the chamber 
straps himself in and powers it up. And he's transported to a big blank white space where the bandages peel off and he appears to be back to his normal self. Like they're, they're finding lots of chances for the characters who don't get to show their faces to show their faces in relevant situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially Matt Bomer. Like, you yeah, know, he, one of the more beautiful men in Hollywood. He's a handsome man. Mm-hmm. So at least initially it looks like that this thing worked and the entity pops out. It's like, all right, great. We're, we're separate. Now leave me alone. Cause that's all he wants. He just wants to be free of this traveler that's been with him for 50 years. Yeah. Uh, but when he's screaming at the entity, the entity is kind of not letting him get away. Mm-hmm. And whatever, uh, whenever Larry says stuff at him, the entity just says it back in his voice. Mm-hmm. I'm very unclear exactly what is happening in this situation. Like, uh, the chamber, the chamber is about as fuzzy science comic booky as you could possibly get. So I don't know if this is actually taking place in another dimension. Like, is this just a dreamscape? Like, I don't know what the hell this is, and I don't think we're ever going to get a true answer. Yeah, I mean, it, it splices them between dimensions. That's where nobody gets his power from. But anyway. Uh, Jane, she goes to meet with uh, Fuhrer von Fuchs, who is hi- himself, but yeah, visibly aged. He's like the only person in the show so far that is visibly aged. He's inside just this massive iron lung type of thing that also looks like a one of those uh, uh, fair like fortune teller devices from Big. Yeah, th- there's a guy with a crank on the side, just constantly <laughs> moving the crank, and. Uh, well, not a not a guy. Like we'll find we find out now. Every single person in Fuktopia is it's a hive mind. They're all the scientists. Yeah. So he just has a body constantly moving it. Like, did he, has he just not bothered making like a machine to do that? Apparently so. Like, I mean, shit. If he's good with biology, then it's easier to create just a. Just clones, just scores of clones that'll trade off at various points of the day. I think you're being generous in saying clones. I was more thinking that these are just people he grabbed. Uh, Who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? Like, maybe these are, like, his children and descendants and all that. Like, but it doesn't really matter because of what happens next. Yeah. Uh, Fook is very interested in Jane and uh, asks that he show her... He, that that uh, she show him a different personality so he can be sure about the powers. And she's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You know, they're their own entities. They choose when to come out and when not. It's like, oh, well, you know, hey, I'm a good scientist. I could just pop them out and leave uh, you the the core personality. And Jane hesitates. And Fuka's like, hmm, are you the core personality? <laughs> and yeah. her, her reaction kind of speaks volumes and he laughs it turns out like you know jane she's not interested at all in working with this guy she is here for information she asks him about uh she asks him about the chief she asks him uh, for help in finding him and the nazi declines and so she starts to kill everyone <laughs> he, he does try to kill her first he summons a bunch of his bodies saying like we're we're kind of similar in that you're a bunch of personalities in one body um, one personality split amongst many bodies. So she so he tries to fight some very super powered people with basically regular humans and it does not go well for him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We see people just like ripped apart and like yeah. 
Yeah, like Cliff is in the basement getting assaulted by some squads of dudes, and he seems to really get into it, just kind of crushing them and tearing them apart almost without noticing. At, at one point, he literally rips a man in half and hits another one with the legs of a guy. <laughs> like, we... We didn't get a whole lot of, well, okay, I was about to say we don't get a whole lot of gore the first couple episodes, but then I remembered the exploding donkey. Yeah, and, and Cyborg on the ground with, you know, his his eye and skull stripped away. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose there's that too. Okay. Uh, and, and Larry, me. like, burnt to a crisp two, in the first there was, episode. There was a fuck ton of gore in episode two. I guess just episode one there wasn't. Larry burnt to a crisp uh, coming out of the jet is kind of gory. Uh, it's more a wide shot, and you just see him from behind. You don't see the full face on until episode two. Uh, depending on if Rita's whole thing counts, then maybe. Anyway, though. Uh, so, Cliff is out of the basement doing fine, and Jane is uh, in the room with Fuchs. And she just swaps between a couple personalities. We see the teleporter. She apparently feels like bug jumping between some Nazis and Nightcrawler killing them. But then she swaps over, over to Silvertongue, and... Using the powers that I posted a gif of, uh, talks about Nazi fucks, and those words become blades that she shoots at them to kill them. Yep. So there are no survivors of Fooktopia. <laughs> like, all the staff just go down in as bloody fashion as you could hope for when you're dealing with evil Nazi scientists. And it is, I mean, because they're getting into the thing, which I'm not sure how accurate it is psychologically, but I, I think it might be. Like, I mean, so... Dissociative personality disorder is a super fucking rare thing and not well understood to the point that apparently there's a small subset of people who still don't think it's a real thing, but there's there's enough cases of people that I, I it's fair, fair to say. Like, I, I haven't met anyone firsthand, but I have met someone who was married to someone with dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, was, she was in a psychology course I took. Uh, so they're, they're going kind of with the thing where the personalities are created to deal with certain situations that she couldn't handle normally, so... If if Hammerhead, like the the aggressive, super strong one, is kind of her just rebelling against people, like uh, dealing with authority, then I think Silvertongue only shows up to specifically hurt people a whole lot. Hurt them with her words. Yeah. <laughs> she she tears them apart with uh, metal blades. Yeah, that's a Nazi fuck, so they get shot through a person's chest. After a bit, uh, Fook says, okay, you're... You're really impressing me here. I could definitely help you. You know, I could I could pop out uh, those personalities. I could give you some more control. What do you say? <laughs> and she says, off we just say, motherfucker, and kills him with those words. Yep. But, uh, so but he, has, hmm? he has just enough time to say, well, even this victory isn't yours, nothing belongs to you. So the power goes off at the facility. He was a load-bearing boss. Uh, so negative man is kicked out of the chamber. They're they're just another ten people in the basement running on giant treadmills. <laughs> yeah, presumably as soon as like the head scientist died, like anyone else in the hive mind also died. That yeah, wasn't we, there. It's a good visual metaphor in that we see the guy cranking him just suddenly slow down and stop. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Larry's kicked out. A robot and Jane uh, come to find him. Uh, this is after a somewhat tense moment in the hallway where uh, Cliff realizes, oh my god, I just ripped like ten people in half. Yeah, like, because Cliff's whole deal is that he has reduced sensations, so he might not have even been fully aware of how much he was destroying these people. Like, 
it was probably pretty clear when he ripped the guy in half, but his blood was up at that point. To the extent that he has blood, which is none. So it's weird. Like, he even swings at Jane uh, because she comes up behind him. Uh, but, you know, he's very apologetic, like, oh my god, I didn't see you. I didn't see you. And she she says, no, just get away from me. Uh, on Cyborg shows up. Uh, he, he The dad called, and after letting his son, you know, dangle for a bit, he showed... he. Uh, it's a psychological game thing, because he is showing that he could give or take away the tools at any moment. Mm-hmm. And so they finally get a jet. And uh, on the ride back, Jane just writes on the dust in the window, control is a weapon for fascists. <laughs> yep. Oh, Jane. You're my favorite character in this series. Yeah, she's great. Uh, and the, the coda on the episode is the, the nice uh, tourist man pop like kind of squeezing out of a chamber saying hey i was kind of left in here was i supposed to was i supposed to be in so long and as he pulls himself out we see he has a plant hand and also like rock feet and a velociraptor head popping out of his shoulder and he seems thrilled about this situation yeah he says cool and he like shouts and laughs as the velociraptor screams and i guess he didn't know that but this is animal vegetable mineral man what the fuck? What? That, that's a real person? Oh yeah, it's a, he's a real villain of the Doom Patrol. And he has the ability to shapeshift parts of his body into any animal, vegetable, or mineral. You know, some of those seem a lot more useful at attacking than others. Like, transform into a mineral. Great, yes, I'm super hard rock. Transform into an animal. I'm a dinosaur, I'm gonna attack you. Transform into a vegetable. Um. Um. I don't know, vines? Vines? <sighs> Do vines count as vegetables? I, I yeah, I think it's the it's the classification thing. Like, is something animal, vegetable, or mineral? He can do all three. Okay, okay. So I guess he can't do what fungi. Yeah, yeah. Mushrooms are outside of his uh outside of his spectrum. But <laughs> by one weakness, he shouts. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that could happen, Sam. Uh, the show might go there. Uh, but anyway, that's a, that's the first episode this week. It was fucking crazy. Yeah, like just developing along the plot lines that we've been doing so far a bit more. But this next one appears to be their foray to kind of a whole new story and mm-hmm. breaking into a superhero uh, adventure of its own. Yes, with... part one of an arc of an indeterminate amount of episodes. Yeah. Uh, who knows? I mean, like, I, I don't know what happens next episode. This is the rare show of this podcast, Sam, that I'm actually sad I can't watch more of right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great and weird. And it's like, okay, I literally have no idea what the hell is going to happen. Because, fuck, I was not anticipating this happening at the end of the previous episode. So, episode four, Cult Patrol. <laughs> we start with a, a child's fun, just little birthday. We see him growing up. At age one, then seven, then twelve, and he's just a nice little kid who has more and more tattoos on his skin. Yes. Uh, The older he gets, the more writing appears on his body. Uh, His name is Elliot. Yep, and his parents, you know, they're they're happy and cheerful, and they're also singing uh, just happy birthday while wearing hats that have a big eye on them. them. And the cake has a big eye. And also, the dad 
looks a little uncertain about things on the 12th birthday when the son asks, hey, when can I save the world? And the mom says, soon, soon. Mm-hmm. For this is a kid of prophecy, a kid of legend, a kid who was born for a purpose, and that purpose is to save the world. At least that's what they tell him for the first dozen years of his life. Well, the first 18 or so, because we go to his uh, 18th birthday, and uh, he's getting a, another song, another big cake. The mom has to step out to grab the knife, and the father steps in and says, run, get out of here. You're not here to save the world, you're here to end it. And the wife immediately steps to the door and slashes the husband's throat. <laughs> right in front of the kid. The kid, like, is shocked, steps back, and runs through his room. And the mom was like, you get down here and you eat this fucking cake. After she says, whoopsie-daisy. So, weird cult. And uh, there's also bits we see of a, like, portly British man in a hotel room. It is Badger from Firefly, or, like, the, the evil insurance adjuster from Leverage, or, like, any number of other, like, scene-stealing bit roles uh, that you're almost certainly familiar with. Uh, he's Willoughby Kipling. He is... Is that his real name? Willoughby Kipling. That's... Well, no, that's the name of the character. Oh, okay. No, the character was going to be John Constantine, straight up, but at the moment they were going to use him in the storyline, they didn't have the rights, so they just made a new weird chaos magician guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that fits. This is very much a John Constantine-style uh, role. Yeah. Uh, Willoughby Kipling. Mark, Mark Shepard is the actor. Okay, yes. Look him up. He's great. Yeah. And uh, he he's freaking out because he's hearing that the cult of the unwritten book is being more active which is never great and weird nuns with giant straight racers pop through his walls and he has to chant something and seal them in a book so he's got lots of weird magic <laughs> yep so uh back at the mansion uh robo and jane share a very awkward moment like they are uh like robot wakes up uh, in his room and jane is curled up with him uh, specifically Baby Doll Jane, you can tell by the pigtails. Mm-hmm. Baby Doll being kind of the, the very young, innocent personality. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she wakes up, uh, she swaps over to Hammerhead and pushes Cliff away, saying, fuck, you know, uh, Baby Doll messed up. Uh, get away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hammerhead is very much on the outs with Robo this episode. They go to another team meeting where... Cyborg is, uh, oh, no, there, there's a brief scene where Larry, he wakes up, uh, well, I mean, by wakes up, I mean stops being dead when the entity goes back into him, but, like, <laughs> it's just easier to say wakes up to a TV that the entity has set up playing a video of one of the conferences between him and the chief. Mm-hmm. And Cliff, of course, interprets this, interprets this as some kind of insult and not very obviously the entity trying to tell him something. He storms out. And maybe this is why it took, like, decades for them to get anywhere, because Larry is a big, stubborn jerk. <laughs> He's had a hard life. Uh, Cyborg's doing another team meeting. He's projecting stuff on the floor, talking about the DC Universe cosmology that definitely doesn't change anytime they want to do something different. <laughs> yep. What are they saying? There's, like, 34 different universes, etc., etc. Cyborg says 37, although there's 52 that we know because the new 52, even though I think they already started breaking that and they're blowing up more because there's a bunch of evil Batman showing up. Well, I thought that the new 52 was back in the, like, the mid-aughts, and then since then, like, they kind of collapsed it a little bit further. I I don't know. I think 
I think Joker Batman blew up some universes or something. So they might be down to 37 is what we're saying. Maybe. It it doesn't matter because multiple universes is something you pull out when you want to do whatever you want. So if they need to change the rules, nobody really cares. So, yeah, then the British guy shows up. Uh, name's Kipling. Will it be Kipling? No, I guess I wrote that down as a note and then completely forgot his name. Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, storming around looking for the chief because apparently they're old associates and he needs some help in dealing with this cult. Uh, if they're Rita... successful, the eye will be summoned, the decreator, and the world will be unmade. Yeah, and Cliff just says, is is nothing going to make sense today? Mm-hmm. And nope, nope, nothing will. I mean, I'm not saying he's wrong, but... It's a little rich of anybody on the Doom Patrol to be like, man, this guy's a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, you gotta think about it from Cliff's perspective. Like, for the past 20 years, like, most of those days, like, the extreme vast majority of those days, he was standing alone in a room playing with toy cars. Like, that is his baseline for, like, two and a half decades. I suppose. <laughs> And then he has days like this. Yeah, th- th- then sometimes a weird British man shows up and summons Baphomet as a glowing uh, unicorn head pop- popping out of the table, singing plot-relevant information about the end of the world cult. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what happens next, by the way. Yeah, like, it, it's a little hard to describe this episode because he uses chaos magic, which is a thing that just has weird free association. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just have to, I think we just have to describe it very literally. Like, he summons a glowing horse head that sings him the next plot and tells him to uh, find the child and uh, so that they can't read him, you know, read the tattoos on him, like the unwritten book and some of the uncreator. Yeah. Like, and once they, and uh, the horse in its song does mentioned the full name of the person and the city, which is pretty useful. So he, he just smokes a cigarette and uses it to burn a hole in the air in front of him. And our our heroes step through. Mm-hmm. Everybody except Rita, who Cyborg has been kind of subtly sabotaging in terms of being a part of this. And to be fair, Rita did say to him, I don't want to do any of this stuff. But Cyborg is, he's really passive aggressively kind of trying to shove her out. Is he trying to shove her out? Like, it's... Cyborg is not being Cyborg is not being great about this. Like he's he's not doing this out of good intentions. Like he's not actually a good leader. Well, he's a good leader for the rest of the team, but if she makes it clear and obvious that she doesn't want to be led, well, he's a good tactician, but he's also he's also openly disdainful of everybody he's working with, which is not great. Yeah, that's true. Like, he he hates everyone here. Yeah, he he doesn't have any interest in any of their lives. And, you know, he says, like, are you the best people for this job? Hell no. Like, and there's some leaders who could say that in an endearing way, but Cyborg is not one of them. Like, he, he is, he looks down on these people. And he needs to grow out of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, Willoughby, like, uses a cigarette full of, what was it, uh, whose ashes, like, uh, Leonardo da Vinci's ashes... Uh, to just rip open the universe, shove Jane and Robot and Larry through, and then they come back through a moment later with the kid. Close the portal! Close the portal! Yeah, the mob briefly pops through with the, the chef's knife saying, give back, give back my fucking son! But they kick her through and close the portal. <laughs> and At Willoughby says... Point, Willoughby, yeah, wants to kill the kid! 
yeah, like that's the last step of the plan because he's the book, so we just got destroyed the book. So sorry, kid, we got we gotta kill you. And he pulls out a blowtorch, which is like Jesus will be. Like, like I, I know that step two. That's not how you kill him. That's what you do after you kill him. Jesus Christ. So everybody else is like, hey, we're not gonna kill the kid. Yes, uh, Rita. Rita, you know, has her hero moment here. She steps in front of the kid and is like, no, we do not kill kids. And then Robot behind her says, or burn books. And he's both. Uh, some good lines in this one. Uh, so, th- uh, so Willoughby, very frustrated, decides to work with him. He pulls out some some knowing gum and chews it to find out where the gate is. Because there's lots of rules. Like, he knows that because the... the no. Because the unwritten book is close to being written, then Stigmata will have appeared on some priests somewhere in the world. So they have to find it, and so it closed with Janice Joplin's uh, like, floss. Which is apparently the only th- uh, thread with enough like psychic potential to seal it up. Yeah. And Jane uh, quietly says, all right, I do so, so. Yes, so Jane can sew, so her and Robot are sent to find the priest, and everyone else stays behind to protect the kid in the meantime. Jane, like, she apparently got her uh, personality, was it Flicker? Something like that? Two teleports in there? Is that the teleporter? Yeah, it's it's something like that. Uh, Doesn't matter, there's like 64 names, and I'm going to learn maybe three of them. Hold on, I'm actually looking for it. Flit! Uh, They go to Spain, and... And Cliff is trying to find out why Jane is being so standoffish with him. And she's like, all right, I don't know if I need to spell it with you, but I saw you tear apart someone, like, bloodily in front of me. I'm basically a personality designed to shield Jane from dangers, and you're dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, and that's, which is kind of fair, but Robot does point out the, you know, the, the hypocrisy, like, you also were killing Nazis there. You have as much blood on your hands as I do from that mission. But but Jane says, no, I was created for a reason. What's your excuse? Mm-hmm. And so, his excuse is that he can't feel. They they go, they find the priest who is who is crying and huddling at the corner of his church because he has just big laser beams shooting out of his hands and he doesn't know what's going on. Like if you're a Catholic having priest, a bad day too. If you're Everyone's a Catholic priest a and if you get glowing stigmata, like, that's going to be emotional. Even if, ultimately, you might think that's a good thing. It's like, oh, that's, no. I, I had stuff to do today. And uh, inside the church, Jane kind of starts to freak out. Like, she loses the thread on the mission and is just very unhappy with everything that's going on in the church. Yeah. Like, in, in the earlier episode, she... When uh, Fook asked how she got these powers, she said, because a sadistic bastard like you stuffed me in a room and uh just did this to me and the way she reacts here i think it might have been religious based or some kind of organization like that Mm -hmm. uh i would say that that is quite likely uh but the point is that she's distracted and uh, just not on board long enough for uh a power to flare up inside the priest and he blasts them both with with dimensional lasers i don't know and so he is the gate and they basically just fall through the gate into nernheim the weird dimension that is the home of the cult of the unwritten book. Robot is very pissed. Oh shit, are we in Nerdheim? God damn it. Uh the 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 buildings around them are weirdly featureless and kind of blank. It's like I feel like I've seen this before, but I'm not sure where. It's kinda Disneyland esque. 
it's like it's fake building fronts it's like very plastic uh like kind of like forced perspective style stuff so back in back of the mansion where they're kind of organizing their defenses uh kipling he is putting consecrated rosaries around each of the doorways to you know block them and he's also singing a latin version of love me do i think mm-hmm. or is it a heart no he does a hard day's night because uh, love me do is more powerful but he can't remember the words <laughs> uh, he's a fun character yeah. uh, and then he he walks off to get drunk and meanwhile, like, in, in the corner, so everybody's been doing superhero stuff to try to save the kid. But emotionally speaking, Elliot is just sitting in a corner and be like, I woke up this morning and thought I had a loving family and also maybe was going to help the world. And now I saw my mom kill my dad and I'm a weird super weapon and I'm kind of freaking out and nobody's really helping me through this. Mm-hmm. And Rita steps up, you know, Rita, you know, takes the kid under her wig and has tried to protect him and shield him from this stuff. Yeah, like... When, when Larry has uh, when the entity pops out, Larry and lets the kid go. Essentially, uh, the kid. Uh, well, I uh, actually I just realized that this will be we don't need to banter for this episode because I need to have a warning at the start of this one because here's where like suicide is mentioned kind of strongly. Rita kind of finds the kid sitting on a windowsill up uh, elsewhere in the mansion, preparing to jump off and do the world a favor, and Rita says. Right. Well, first off, this is only the second story, so you'll just break some bones and make things worse. But yeah, she reaches out and she, you know, guides him back in. Yeah. She she says this world is, uh, I think, I didn't write it down, but I, it stuck with me. Like, this world is beautiful and terrible and you don't deserve the burden of ending it. Yeah. And, you know, just quietly walks him back downstairs. Yeah. As they're preparing the defenses, uh, Cyborg and uh, the British dude are having a conversation about Niles uh, because, like, this guy goes back a very long way with Niles and Cyborg thought he did. Uh, but the British guy is pointing out, like, hey, it sounds like you and I do two very different Nile called Niles Calders. Yeah. Like, Niles Calder, you know, you're objecting at killing this kid. But the Niles Calder I knew is the kind of man who would do what he had to do to make the world safe and then live with the burden and pain of that for the rest of his life. Like, he does what he had to do. So, uh, at this point, uh, baddies start to show up. Like, dimensional terrors start to appear around the place. They realize, well, shit, looks like the mission to seal the gates didn't go well. And so it's time to defend this kid the other way. Yep. The the first wave is, like, bobsters made of dead letters, like letters that were never delivered. So when, when, they, when they're killed, they just kind of poof into reams of paper. It's a really fun effect. Yeah. And uh, Cyborg and Willoughby are having like a, you know, back-to-back moment, essentially, where Cyborg has a sonic cannon and Willoughby has a flaming sword. Mm-hmm. And they take a moment to be like, okay, yeah, that's pretty badass. Yeah. They they do the nod and like, hey, you're doing okay, bud. Mm-hmm. As they're just schwacking ghosts from another dimension. <laughs> so, speaking of fucking up things in Nerdheim, uh, so Cy- Cyborg and Jane, uh, when they first showed up, Jane... Swapped to a new personality, uh, Penny Farthing, which is a Cockney British girl who's also very meek and submissive. So, what some guards she says show that up, Hammerhead has been relieved. Yeah, what's what some guards show up and say, you know, hey, uh, surrender to us. She just kind of walks over and is like, yes, sir. Uh, robots ready to, you know, throw down with the guards, and uh, 
try and have the world not end. Uh, but they zap him from behind with these like mystic prods. It, it he sounds like he screams in pain, but I thought the whole thing with him is that he can't feel at all. So like, was this well, just... electrical impulses, brains? You know, like maybe that's the one way to actually make him feel. Still though, I feel like that'd be they they would touch on it if it was actually pain in some way. Like it has to be just the reflexive, shocking. Like th- there was that one time when we had that. Uh, Sam, do you remember when he had the electric kind of tennis ra- racket that was used for swatting bugs? Yeah, and the, like we were also swatting each other with it because we're we were teenage boys and terrible, and our mom was like, "No, we do that. were in our twenties, Harry." Okay, whatever. We were living together in our twenties. Let's let's not pretend that we were teenagers when this was happening. The point was like th- there was one moment when I was just like idly pressing the button on and off while sitting in a chair, and like I shocked myself, and sp- I was in the room with other people, and like I I know I screamed and like just kind of dropped it real quickly, but I don't remember feeling pain at all. It was just the reflex of like ah, and, like just dropping it. Yeah, maybe maybe. So it might have been something like that. But yeah, they're captured and they're taken uh, before the high priests of Nerdheim, uh, one of which is the mother of uh, the child and the other which is the dead father, like just sitting in a chair, throat slashed. Yep. As a reward for their service, they got upgraded to strange alien gods. But still, if you get your throat slit, then you're a slit throat god. So back in the mansion, uh, the fight's going poorly. Like, I mean, they take out the first wave uh, cleanly enough. And oh, also, we uh, should mention Larry's been having, like, you know, more conversations uh, with his spirit. Uh, immediately before the attack, like, there was another moment when the spirit got uh, tape started. And this time, uh, Larry actually sits down to watch the, the tape go through. Like... It's a scene where Niles was commenting on his relationship with his boyfriend to get him worked up. And uh, in the past, he would stand up and storm out of the room at this point and not finish watching the tape. But since he is watching it, he sees that he blacks out and the spirit exits his body because what Niles was trying to do was get him worked up so that the spirit would take control and jump out. Yeah, because Niles really wants to help both of them, uh, Larry and the Entity. And he's created, he's been trying to communicate for a while, and this time he's made a little thing the entity can pop into and maybe talk. He he asks some questions and doesn't really get clear answers until he asks, so how do you sustain yourself inside Larry? And the thing just croaks out to torture. So I, I don't think he's doing great in the situation either. No, nope, no one's happy. No one is happy. They need to find a balance here. Uh, and that's part of, you know, Larry... Heading out there and be like, okay, so the entity says fucked up as I am. Uh, I don't know. At least he likes a fight. So he gets involved in beating some of the extra dimensional entities and takes out a whole wave of them. Turns out when you have like an electrical being sitting inside your chest who likes to, you know, just jump out and start zapping. Yeah, you can do pretty well in a fight. Yeah. But, also, uh, he might be radioactive. I don't know. I think I will figure that out, but I, I have to assume he's not radioactive anymore. Or at least he can put a hold on it. Uh, but the it's the fight's going okay until the second wave shows up, which is the big hulking elite guard dudes. With the tasers. Yeah, with the tasers. So Kipling apologizes to Cyborg, and then immediately kicks him into the guards to be tasered a bunch while he runs off to kill the kid. He's keeping his eye on, like, you know, the big prize. Like, okay, our loss condition is if they get to the kid, and it looks like they're starting to overwhelm us, so... Time to go murder an 18-year-old. Yep. So Rita and the kid headed back down into the, to the basement 
but Rita did step on one of the rosaries because she didn't know they were there. And they have a bit where she tries to grab it and string it back together. And Elliot is like, oh, this isn't going to work. And she says, hey, I'm having a very proud moment here. I'm evolving as a human and you are ruining it. So we're stringing this thing back together. And she kind of taps on the ground angrily. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's great. Uh, but yep. but uh, Willoughby shows up. It's like, uh, well, change of plans. And he goes to attack the kid. But Rita just instinctively flings her arms out and pins him against the wall. Like, like using, Elastic Man style. Yeah, using her powers for the first time we've seen kind of intentionally and it's like in an offensive manner too yeah it's defensive offensive like you know there was a threat and she neutralized it very effectively uh but it's not enough because then the extra dimensional uh razor nuns or something popped through the wall again hard to describe this episode (laughs) uh but they grab the kid they jerk him outside, and they start the ritual. Mm-hmm. And as the episode closes, uh, we see our four heroes in the world, like, uh, uh, stepping uh, out onto the front lawn, watching the end of the ritual, and seeing a giant human eye appear in the clouds. <laughs> That's never great. That's never a good thing. I cited I, I thought in fiction, and I don't think there, there's, there's ever been a point in a story where a giant eye appeared in the clouds, and people were like, "That's that's happy. I'm glad that's happening. So that's uh, that's like a hard cliffhanger uh, where we end this particular episode going into next week. Yeah, and I mean, the only thing I'll allow myself to look ahead at is the name of the ex- next episode, and it's Paw Patrol. So I don't uh, know. Paw, like P-A-W? Yeah, so like a dog? Huh. I mean, we're looking for... There's a lot of animals in the show, so who the hell knows? Is Crypto the super dog on this team? I wouldn't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, this could go so many places. Like, if you told me that a main character in the show is Crypto the super dog, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, if it, anything, that might be, like, too benign for the series. But, but at, the thing I love about this show is that as much as it is kind of bizarre plotting everything is strung together and makes a lot of sense and also they do a brilliant job at tying it together with the characters and their individual stories like at the end there's a moment we kind of skipped where the high priestess is using her mind powers to mess with uh, cliff and jane and kind of showing them both as they think of themselves and so cliff sees just himself in his normal uh, Brendan fraser body and Jane as a kind of younger girl in a nice dress. But then also, you know, what you, like, uh, well, no, that's how they want it to be, but then how they then see themselves, and Cliff is just a brain on the ground, and Jane is looking down at a broken mirror, and then how uh, they think other people see them, and Cliff is his robot self covered in blood, and Jane is, like, uh, Cliff's daughter. There's there's some psychological stuff going on with those people, and they really need to have some good conversations. Yeah, like this this show is doing what I feel is a very good job at very heavily psychologically diving into all the characters, but not making it like feel like it's heavy on that. Like it, it ties it in really well to the ongoing craziness. And this is a world also somewhere where there's a happy tourist man who has a velociraptor head on one shoulder. Who is, I don't know, committing crimes? Fighting crime? We don't know. And a cockroach. (laughs) 
talking cockroach. I'm I'm on talking cockroach watch, Harry. Like, how long before he shows up again? I mean, there, I think he has to be. I found out his name, and like I said, I know the episode names. There's an episode named after him. So, is it in season one? I I I'm not gonna tell you. Okay. Okay. But we'll find out what Paw Patrol is, and uh, <laughs> a couple other things next week. Like you still liking Doom Patrol? Uh, very much so. Yeah, and in that case, what are you going to keep doing to show it? I'm going to keep dancing. <laughs>